Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. Another week of Real Personal Finance, the new Real Personal Finance way. I'm so excited. The new way is so fun. We got to have our first episode, The New Way because we've been geeking out with each other about personal finance for about three years now. Yeah, some exciting stuff. So we do have a YouTube channel for you all if you like to digest podcasts by YouTube. It's not just the two of us where you get to know that James is better looking than I am. We actually are going to share some element scorecards with you. As listeners are writing in now, we are asking you to fill out an element scorecard so that we have a better sense of where you are right now as you're asking questions. It still it depends for the answer because we are not your advisor, but we can hopefully help you frame context around the questions you're asking in a much better light than we were able to do so before. Yeah, which makes sense. If someone's writing in and saying, should I pay down my mortgage or invest? Well, it's a great question. But if we don't have context of what's your cash situation look like, your liquidity or your investments, it's a very difficult answer to provide feedback on. So yes, it's still going to depend. But like Scott said, after three years of doing this, we want to elevate and evolve what we're doing. And so now we have that YouTube channel so you can see some basic context. And what we've done is we've stripped any real names and real personal information from people submitting this information. But what we are doing is using real data. So we can say, here's not just a question, but here's real context. How would we explore this in that context? Instead of uh, just telling you what to do, we're going to show you what to do in a sense with some key metrics. Oh, we should probably tell them what the name of the YouTube channel is because I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But then we'll dive into a question from Chad and Lee. And Chad and Lee are fake names and only they will know who they actually are. Yes. We'll make sure they know. We will send them a note, but the Real Personal Finance YouTube page, that's the name, Real Personal Finance. Same thing on podcast, same thing on YouTube. Make it easy (laughs) and go there. And you'll see, not just Scott and I, but you'll see some of the data that we're actually exploring today. Can I go ahead and read Chad's question? Yeah, let's dive in. Let's do it. All right. Chad says this. He says, hey guys, I've been listening to the podcast for quite a while now and really enjoyed the content. Here's some background on my situation. I recently received a 25% raise, and I am married with kids in Minnesota. I'm 43, and my wife is 41, and we have three kids under six. Our household income is $115,000, and we are currently saving about 25% into retirement accounts, but I feel like an after-tax brokerage should be the next step. We have about $3,000 extra built up in our checking account that I could use to open a new account with the plan of adding to that any time we have extra to put towards investing. We bought our current house in 2020 with a 2.5% 30-year fixed mortgage, so I don't see the need to pay that down right now. If another brokerage account is the next step, what type of investment should I consider for this type of after-tax account? Another question I have is 401k versus Roth allocation. Should I keep maxing out the Roth as long as I can? I don't know if I went up a tax bracket with a new raise, so should I reallocate some savings to a 401k to offset the increase in income? 
I'm not a great tax mind, but I do know that being married with three kids has made our effective tax rate very low over the past few years. Any advice slash thoughts on my situation would be greatly appreciated. All right. Awesome. That is from a listener that we will call Chad. From Chad, we'll call him Chad and Lee. And I am going to share their elements now. If you are listening, we're going to walk through them. If you are watching on YouTube, you will see what you would see if you had an Elements app on your phone. So I just want to make sure one that James, you can see it up and it is there. Not quite yet. I think you might have to hit the share button here. Okay. Both on here. Let's try that again. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Thank you very much. I am not that bright when it comes to technology. I'm going to hit share first, and then I'm going to hit share screen. Now I will start mirroring. Now we can start to see it. The moment of truth is here. There we go. Sometimes you just have to be brighter than technology. So now (laughs) can we see it? We can see it now. Okay, great. So first things first, the Chad and Lee's net worth is about $447,000. Good job, Chad and Lee. Let's go ahead and walk through what's on here, shall we? Would that be all right if you just kind of walk through what these numbers are to start with, sir? Let's do it. Do you want me to read these off? Or do you want yeah, to read go them for off? it. Yeah, you they got free. checking. Checking account, $9,000. Savings account, $20,000. There's a current 401k with the current job of $3,000. An old 401k rollover of 100,000. It's like some combined Roths. So, both for Chad and Lee, the combined value of 25 grand. New home that they purchased, 450,000. Kids 529 plans, 12,000. And then a Fidelity, it looks like a health savings account of 4,600. Those are their assets. So, 623,000 total. And then the only debt that they have appears to be the mortgage balance of $176,000. So, that is where they stand. Net worth standpoint. That's what brings a total net worth to four hundred and call it forty eight thousand dollars. Yes, awesome. Okay, let's jump into their elements. So we look at really three main sections. We look at cash flow, we look at assets, and then we look at risk that they are taking. I'm just going to start walking through cash flow and assets, and maybe you'll jump into risk a little bit. Does that sound good, James? Sounds we'll good just to me. Chime in along the way. Yep. Cool. Okay, so savings rate is stellar for Chad and Lee. It looks like they're saving about 25% of their take-home pay. They're saving about $3,000 annually for the kids' 529s. It looks like he's saving $270 biweekly. That's about $7,000, a little over $7,000 a year to the 401k. If he's at $115,000 now, let's see, 7 divided by 115. So he's about a 6% savings rate there. One thing I'd want to know, because it's not clear to me, is if there's an employer match. If there is an employer match, you could go ahead and add in the amount that's being added as a match, where it says for the current and there's no company match. I skipped over that part in the oh, question, Scott. Oh, did it say so no company match? Here. Okay, thank no you. Match. Thank you so for nothing that. There. So nothing there. For those who are listening, if you ever do get an opportunity to use Elements in the future, which we have some hopefully some plans for that for you coming up. If you did have a company match, you would add it here and then just add it to your all-in income. So just if Chad's was a $2,000 extra, he'd add in the extra $2,000 over the course of the year, and then he'd bump up his salary from $115 to $117. Does that make sense? Just as a learning point for how this uses? Okay, cool. Then we have the Roth IRAs. We're doing 1,000 monthly, so we're doing 6,000. So it looks like they're probably maxing out their Roth contributions, which is great. And then the health savings account, 280 times 26. So we're doing the full amount to the HSA, which is great. Anything you'd want to add there, sir? 
No, I think they're doing great. Like we mentioned, twenty five percent savings. That's pretty significant. What we'll talk about. They're already is doing so well. I agree. Like I'm the breakdown I'm just of that. Ecstatic for them for what they're saving already. Okay, if we go to spending, they're estimating spending needs of about twenty five hundred dollars a month. Now we're going to assume that twenty five hundred does not include their debt payment, which is about twelve fifty five a month for their mortgage. So all in, they really need 2500 and 1255, so they really need about I'm just going to round up and call it $3800 a month to live life. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay. And then if we go to taxes, it looks like they had about 60 grand of income, 3000 federal taxes, 1200 state. They may not have FICA taxes included in here if you want to get really really geeky detailed, go look at your most recent W2 that final pay stub of the year and whatever you paid in social security and Medicare tax, you could add that into the federal side to kind of true up what your real tax bill is all in. All the way through, that looks pretty good. If we go to income, income we're saying annually, we make about 115 a year now. And then we have all of those numbers that we've already talked about, savings rate, estimated spending, estimated debt payments, and total taxes. Those all total up to 68,951. That makes a lot of sense because last year's all-in income was about 60 grand right on the tax return. It looks like you have everything accounted for as far as we can tell. The only thing is there's extra cash available now or there should be extra cash available. Of the 115,000 we've accounted for, I'm going to call it 69,000, about 46,000 is unaccounted for or we need to choose where to go put it. Any thoughts on that, James? This makes sense. He mentioned he just got a 25% raise. So there's going to be some Mm -hmm. extra income that is unaccounted for. And the question is what to do with it. To his question, do I put this in a brokerage account? So no longer contribute to retirement plans, but instead start saving this to brokerage. We'll go down that in a second. Do you want to go over anything else here, Scott, before jumping into that? Or is this a good time to start going over that? You know, that's kind of walking through cash flow. If we go think through assets, so once we know how much we need for one month of living, which we're saying we need 2,500, we really need like 30,000. And that's not including the debt payments. If we include the debt payments, we need a little bit more. But for now, we'll just say we need 30,000. That's fine. Basically, for liquid term, meaning what do we have for liquid assets, whether that's a taxable account, investment account, which is the question Chad was asking, or it's just cash or money in the bank account, we have 29,100 and we need about 30,000 for a year. We have about one year of liquidity. And I think that's really strong. What do you think? I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Don't say need to build that up too much more, if at all. No, I'm kind of on the page with him of like, what do I do next? Because he's in a good place. So and then if we go turn to retirement accounts or qualified accounts, qualified accounts are going to be those Roth IRAs, the IRA, the 401k. It'll also include the 529 plans for the kids and the health savings account. In total, there's about 4.8 years total. Now, obviously, 12,000 of that's for the kids. So technically, we probably don't want to include that specific number in the numbers of years of uh, assets they've built up. But since it's built into this, in a sense, I'm okay doing it both ways because it's kind of built up. The money that we're saving for college, we're going to use to help fund our children's college. And it's probably built into our own cash flow to create our own financial freedom. So it is kind of a goal along the way. So I have no problem keeping it here. And then if we go look at real estate, the home's worth about 450. We own 176. So there's about nine years of assets worth there as well. If we're not going to use the house for financial independence, that's fine. We just won't include it in the number that you're building. If we think of it in terms of what kind of income do you need, if we're going to pay off the house in the future and we're just going to need $2,500 a month to live life and we want a 3.3% withdrawal rate, meaning we want to take 3.3% off of the money to create 2,500 a month, you're going to need to build assets of about $900,000. 
or you're going to need to save about $20,500 a year, which you're already doing. I think you're looking pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're squared away here. And it's really just, what do I do next? What do I do with this extra money that's coming in? Agreed. And so the only thing I think we'll briefly touch on, there's the risk reward standpoint or pardon risk standpoint. So insurance and what we're doing for the amount of asset allocation that we're taking. It looks like Chad has $100,000 of life insurance through work, has $350,000 of term life insurance that expires in 2046. And Lee also has $350,000 that expires in 2046. Looking at those numbers, I mean, we can touch in, do we think anything should happen there with that, sir? And the one thing I didn't see there as well was disability, because it seems like I'm assuming Chad is the one who's working. It's kind of what it sounds like. Sounds like his wife has a little bit of income coming in, but primary source of income is Chad's income. Okay, cool. So we can touch on that maybe a little bit. And then equity rate, basically how risky are we being or not being? It looks like between the cash that's in the accounts and the stock holdings, stock holdings are mostly 90% stock, 10% bonds or 100% for the HSA account. And then we have that little bit of savings. So in total, our overall asset allocation is about 75% equity. Mm-hmm. And that's the overarching view of Chad and Lee. Yeah. Out on now. Here's our scorecard right in front of us. It's just a summary of everything Scott just talked about. Let's talk about where you should save those funds. Because the first thing I want to look at is, do you need more in your emergency fund? Well, we see he has about one year of living expenses already set aside. His liquid right. term is one, which means he's got enough liquid reserves to fund a year. So I think that's sufficient. We consider even debt rate. Okay, well, he's got super low interest rate on the mortgage at 2.5%. Good timing there, Chad and Lee. Yes. 14% of his total income. So definitely not an overbearing amount, not even close on the debt. So I nope. don't see anything to do there. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to savings. And for yeah. us, when we're looking at this, if his income is 115000 when we do some basic things, like say, okay, let's take out the deductions you're going to have for your health savings account. Let's assume you have a standard deduction, which for 2022, the standard deduction for married filing jointly is $25,900. Yep. He's looking, Chad and Lee are looking like they're probably right at the top of the 12% tax bracket, Agreed. maybe just barely in the 22%. But my guess is probably right at the top of 12 So here's the math we did for you, Chad, and double check us. But you started at 115000 25900 comes off for your standard deduction. You're making about $7,000 of contribution to the 401k, which we are assuming is pre-tax right now. And then there's the HSA of 70, was it 7,300 this year, James? I don't remember the exact number, but that's the number I used. Let's go ahead and use that number. I think that's right. Yeah. But if we do all that, it brings you down to $74,800, which would put you well into the 12% tax bracket. And then even if we add back the seven grand, for your contribution to the 401k, I show you'd be 81,800. Again, you're welcome to double check our math. I think the bracket ends for the 12% bracket this year at $83,550. Looking pretty good to be in that 12% bracket. Looking good. So when you look at options, the main options I think in our mind are do more pre-tax retirement contributions, you do more after-tax retirement contributions, or do you do just after-tax brokerage contributions? So not a Roth, but just liquid funds available to you whenever. Pre-tax to me is not super attractive right now. It's going to save you 12 cents on the dollar. You're really not getting a whole lot of benefit for more pre-tax contributions. Yeah. And when you say 12 cents on the dollar, just for the listener at home, He's saying that Chad and Lee are in a marginal tax rate. The last dollar that they're going to earn 
they're going to pay 12 cents on for every dollar they earn in the federal tax bracket. That's why James is saying it's not very interesting. If you have a client who's making $647,000 a year, well, then every 37 cents that they save to a pre-tax, they get to save at 37 cents in taxes for every dollar. That makes it way more interesting. Right, exactly. So is it a benefit? Yes, but keep in mind when you pull money out of a pre-tax 401k or IRA, you're paying taxes in the future. So if we can essentially lock in a 12% payment on those dollars, that's very attractive to me, especially seeing that Chad and Lee are saving quite a bit and they may build up a good amount for themselves, which income on that in the future could very easily be above the 12% bracket. So to me, it's between Roth and brokerage. It kind of comes down to, is there any desire to use these funds before 59 and a half? If so, you probably want to consider a brokerage account. You lose the tax benefits, but you have full control and access. That's a fully liquid account. But keep in mind, even with a Roth, anything that you put into a Roth, you can always get the principal back, meaning the amount that you put in. You can always get that back totally penalty-free, totally tax-free. So even with a Roth, if you think, okay, I'm definitely going to use these funds 59 and a half or later, I'm inclined to say almost certainly probably consider the Roth 401k. But even if not, ask yourself, will you need more than what you put in? If not, then the Roth 401k could still be a great option. Totally. My initial thought, because I couldn't understand from the reading if the 401k savings is pre-tax contribution or Roth contribution. If it's pre-tax contribution, Chad and Lee might want to think about flipping it to Roth contribution instead. As you're saying, that 12 cent benefit on the savings is really not all that much, right? On $7,000 a contribution, they're saving, what is that? 7,000, sorry, I'm just too slow right now to do this out loud, $840 in taxes. Instead, you could just go put that 7,000 into your Roth 401k, keep doing your regular Roth contributions as well, and do the full HSA, which you're already doing. Make sure you track those, any expenses that you guys pay medically out of pocket post-tax dollars each year. So if you ever need to take funds from the HSA, you can in the future. That's another way you can go dip into, in a sense, retirement savings before retirement by using the HSA in that manner. As you're doing all of that, then you could still look at what do we do with the excess cash. And the excess cash, you could do one of two things with, as James is already pointing out, you could one, increase your Roth 401k contribution all the way up to $20,500 is one thing you could do. Or you could put some of that money in after-tax brokerage account. Or three, you could do a combination of both. I don't know if there's a Roth 401k option for Chad and Lee. If there is, I'd be inclined to consider that as the main maybe priority here. If not, there's kind of a unique planning opportunity here where I don't know if I'd put money into a pre-tax account because again, you're not getting a huge benefit and you're going to be taxed on those dollars one day. If you invest in a brokerage account, the way that works is whatever you put in there, You've already paid taxes on it. So only any dividends or interest or growth on that is what you're paying taxes on in the future. So capital gains is the primary thing that you're likely to pay taxes on. Your taxable income is under a certain threshold each year. You pay 0% federal capital gains taxes. For 2022, if your taxable income is under $83,350, you have 0% capital gain liability. Right. If Chad and Lee are under this, And if they do invest in a brokerage account instead of, say, a 401k, they Mm -hmm. could strategically manage that in a way to intentionally realize just enough gains to bring them up to that threshold, 83,350. And if that's Mm -hmm. all they're doing, they might have some state taxes, but there's no federal capital gains taxes. Anything above that starts to be taxed at 15%. But 
if they do that strategically and just realize a little bit of gains each year, and obviously this is contingent upon their income staying just under that threshold. Yeah. Way it's like a Roth IRA in the sense that you can realize these gains without paying taxes. Dividends and interest, of course. Dividends, if they're qualified, same deal. Interest is taxable, but it's kind of a nice way of getting the flexibility of a brokerage account while still having the tax savings of a Roth. I'm in agreement with everything you're saying there. My, the only caveat I can think of is Chad just mentioned he got a big bump in salary. And I would just want to know what the likelihood of future big bumps in salary are. If he's quickly going to be above the rate where zero capital gains not happening for us, then it might not be as advantageous. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, If it's like, nope, I got one big promotion and now I'm pretty much locked into inflation adjustments from here, that's an amazing strategy. If you're going to grow more and more and more in the future, well, then that would lead me more toward getting more money into Roths and if it's possible. As you were noting. Yeah. And that's where I would lean towards Roth. I just know they're already maxing out their personal Roth IRAs. I don't know if there's access to a Roth 401k, but this is why yeah. I would consider both of those. And Chad, if there's not access to a Roth 401k, like go ring that bell with your HR department. Go be like, hey guys, is it possible for us to flip on a Roth option in our 401k? And they probably can't do it for you this year, but they might be able to do it for you next year. And that just gives you the ability to save in a more tax efficient manner for yourself not tax efficient in the manner of this year, but really just looking at your lifetime opportunities of income. Because as your income grows and scales and you make more money, your income's going to go up. Then it'll probably make more sense to put money pre-tax. We've always said on the show before, and we'll say it again and again and again, that whether or not to Roth or not to Roth is largely dependent on your tax rate today and future tax rates in the future. And when you're in a lower tax bracket today, it makes a whole lot of sense to use Roth whenever you can. Exactly. One other thing I would add to this is he mentions in his question, he says, our overall portfolio right now is about 90-10 stock heavy in index and target date funds. Yeah. That's going to be a little different probably than stock to bond ratio. Anything in a target date fund, and I could be totally wrong on this, it seems like he might be thinking anything in target date fund is in stock investments. I would say, Chad, check out what target date funds you have, because if Mm -hmm. it's say a 2045 date fund, which probably corresponds with his retirement date of 65, at least based upon the way the yeah. funds look at it, it might be less stock heavy than you think, depending on the provider yeah. and depending on what that looks like. So just make sure you're in the right allocation that you actually want to be in for that. Yeah, agreed. And especially like we obviously don't know Chad and Lee's risk tolerance here, but if they do have a good risk tolerance based on their income needs, if they want to be risky and be 90-10, I personally would have no issue with that. So long as they understand the risk and reward that's happening because they are saving for 20 plus years for retirement right now. So long as they don't have a need for this cash in the short run, get after it. We want to let these funds grow. But to your point exactly, look up the ticker specifically, go check out the asset allocations. And then the other thing is, the only other thing I'd touch on there, and we've done episodes on this, but thinking about investing globally versus just in the US, Look at how those funds are managing for you and just find an allocation that makes sense for you. We obviously advocate being globally diversified. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else you'd add to this, Scott? The only thing I want to bring up is I briefly want to touch on insurance because to me, knowing that they have three little ones at home and it sounds like Chad is the main breadwinner right now, I'm wondering if he has enough life insurance. So he has 450,000 total and he makes 115,000. 450 divided by 115, that's almost four years of income. He might want to look at doing some type of a human life value analysis or a needs analysis calculators, which exist out on the old interweb 
and seeing like, should I have more term life just maybe for 10 years while the kids are getting bigger and I have this really nice savings rate just to make sure everyone's okay. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Human life value is something we talked about. What would be the cost to replace Chad if something happened to Chad? Yeah. Or needs-based. If something happened to you, what would you want Lee to do? Do you want to have to pay off the mortgage, stick some in some retirement funds to replace lost savings, and then have enough to live on for the next 10, 15 years? Really a couple of different ways of doing it. But yeah, I think there's enough where it wouldn't be a complete disaster. There, you know, There's something there, but I don't know that there's enough for this to be truly every the family's okay should something happen to Chad. Exactly. And the one element that we don't have yet on elements, which I can't wait until we do, is estate plan. I see a young family. I heard nothing in the question about do we have one or not. If you don't have one, Chad and Lee, please look into getting one. Having basic estate planning documents in place, most people think it's for wealthy people. It's really not. I mean, it is. It's helpful for them when they're really wealthy, but it's also really helpful for us as families when we have children who we love and want to care for to make sure that their assets are protected while they're growing up, have those assets put in a trust to be distributed in the future. So at the age of majority, which for most states is the age of 18, they don't receive if you both get, if I want to be cryptic really quick and you go get a million dollar policy, so they have $1.4 million policy and you have a $440,000 net worth right now, well, then you guys have almost $2 million of net worth going to three kids when they turn 18. Or you can have a living revocable trust set up and specify ages at which they will receive those assets and protect them while they're growing up. Please look into that if you don't have it. If you do, good job having it already. I can't wait for that to be built into Elements so we can verify that. Yes, very important. Awesome. Anything else, Scott? No, that's it. I think it's so fun to do these. We'd love to hear feedback from listeners. Do you like this format? What can we do to make it better? Because we want to learn and grow with you. But we also want to do a bit more of show you what financial planning is and decipher the metrics rather than just tell you answers. So hopefully it's helpful for you guys. And please, 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 if you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to the show or give us five stars or whatever stars you think we deserve. Um, Hopefully it's five because you watched us on YouTube and James has a wonderful smile with a sparkle in his eye. I just try to keep up. (laughs) check us out on youtube yes real personal finance lots of good stuff there like we said scott like let us know what you think do you like this is something missing this show is not for anyone except for listeners and so if there's something you think we could be doing better or something that you like send us an email we'll respond always want to make sure this is getting as good as it can possibly be yeah because our goal really is to make it so that the nation is financially literate And we think it's time to start showing you and then giving you opportunities to track it yourself. With that, hope you guys have a great week. Yeah, see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.